Uh, brothers and sisters, if you would pray with me here. Um, we have our brother Jeff, who is our youth pastor, um, for the first time preaching to us here at Light of Christ. So it's our custom when somebody is first beginning their preaching service in the context of our church, we, we all join together and pray a special pr- prayer of blessing for them. And uh, I hope it'll be the first of many, but we're looking forward to hearing from you, Jeff. But if you would all uh, maybe just extend your hands and we'll pray for Jeff. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for our brother. He has blessed us in so many ways, many of them in conversation and friendship and with our youth and uh, just been a great pastor with his wife, Christina, to them. And Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit to just bless him, to just uh, fall upon him and well up within him that these words which are really truly life, that your presence which is the bread of life, Lord, I pray that he uh, would feast upon it and that we in turn would be fed by him because of you. We pray this to your glory. Holy Father, amen. 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 Please be seated. It is a great pleasure and uh, responsibility to stand before you in this capacity and to uh, disclose what's on my heart about today's readings. Uh, As I understand it, different sermons do different things. Obviously, they can do multiple things at once, or sometimes one thing more particularly, expound a text. You know, we might have more of a a teaching preaching or uh, to give some direct, practical, everyday life application. My hope this morning is to invite you to enter into the story which we'll review a little bit, uh, and enter in imaginatively, and to find your place in it, to, to put yourself in the sandals of all the characters on, on both sides, and that through that, you will be able to renew your commitment, uh, or perhaps recognize for the first time that Jesus is calling and you've been ignoring him. Uh, but for those of us who have heeded the call to renew your commitment, to renounce, if necessary, some things that have crept into our lives that get in the way of following Jesus, uh, and through that to receive the living bread that came down from heaven. I am the bread of life, Jesus declared. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never thirst. But, as I told you, you have (laughs) seen me and yet do not believe. Now, all that the Father has given me will come to me, and who comes to me I will by no means drive away. Uh, for I did not come down from heaven to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me, which is this, that I shall lose none of all that he's given me, but will raise them up at the last day. So the Jews began to murmur against him. Isn't this Jesus, Joseph's son? And we know who his parents are. How does he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I am the bread of life, the living bread that came down from heaven. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and yet they died. But I have come, the living bread from heaven, that one may eat of it and never die. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. 
that more or less catches us up with today's gospel reading. Uh, some of you may know that I have a background and an interest in theater. And uh, I think one of the best directors I ever worked with was for a production of the Zion Passion Play. Uh, Dee may remember these days. I had several seasons with this director, but one that particularly stands out is when I was 15, I was cast as John, who serves as sort of a, a narrator, a commentator, as well as playing uh, a character in the action of the play. As you may imagine, this series in John has been dear to me, many of the words familiar, and I'm able to make many imaginative connections to, to what we're reading. One thing I remembered vividly about this director as I was reflecting on today's text, she posed a question to each of us playing one of the 12. When did you know? What did you see or hear, or maybe just sense that, that meant for you the crossing of a threshold. Even if you didn't have the words to, to capture what you were beginning to put together, when does your character realize that the teacher is the Christ, the son of the living God, as Peter professes in Matthew's account, and today in John's, the Holy One of God? I wonder when Peter knew what he saw or heard or sensed, or, or perhaps it was something he realized in, in retrospect and took some time mulling over the right words to encapsulate what he was beginning to piece together. Uh, perhaps it was that holy, ghostly night out on the lake when they saw the Lord walking across the waves. Brief sidebar, in that scene, I, I, I like to imagine that Jesus was more or less strolling lost in thought. Uh, we read earlier that he left the crowds in pursuit of solitude, and maybe he just wandered offshore without particularly meaning to or realizing it. So maybe it was then when he saw the Lord, and, and then when Peter stepped out in faith, and in that one moment of miracle where he stood on the water before sinking like a rock. That's a Peter joke, by the way. Peter the rock. Maybe it was one of the many healings of the master that he witnessed firsthand or, or heard about. Just in John, we have the, uh, the official's son, uh, that poor chap who couldn't get into the pool. Peter's own mother-in-law, for goodness sake. And, and then in light of this, when, when Jesus said, just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so, the son gives life. And Peter knew then that he meant it and he could do it. Or maybe there was a moment at that unforgettable bash in Cana when Peter had to sit down and wonder if he was beginning to feel the wine or if he had indeed just caught a glimpse of the glory that Isaiah spoke of. The Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of the best meats and the finest of wines, and he will swallow up death forever. Perhaps on Looking back, Peter realized it was that first day when his brother came pelting down the road, breathless and shining with sweat and wonder, gasping about having met the Messiah, come and see. And then when the Lord looked into Peter's eyes and indeed into his soul and gave him a new name. Maybe it was then that Peter knew life as he'd known it was over. Whatever it was, whenever it was, Peter has the guts to make a powerful statement of faith in today's text, a statement that maybe he's only half able to believe at this point. 
It's a confusing scene. The the mood has soured and the crowd dispersed. I invite you to picture it with me uh, as one of the 12, if you will, if you can. You nervously bite your lip and watch the master. He's turned away watching the deserters. You can see or rather feel that awful heaviness that often accompanies him, although he keeps his shoulders and his chin high. His hands float where he's left them in gesture, ready to receive any who might be foolish enough to turn back, to stay. You've come to know some of these folks. Some of them you thought were in it for the long haul. Your emotions are confused, some resentment as one of the team, but also a little bit of understanding, embarrassment perhaps, uncertainty at the least. Uh, It's with a show of courage that you lift your chin as the master turns and faces the rest of you. Do you too wish to walk away now? Silence. Uh, Some look away, hurt or perhaps convicted by this. Most assume a wooden expression, not daring to speak up if this is another one of the rabbi's trick questions. Judas, who never got on board with the master's program, fumes silently on the side, and maybe you feel a little bit of what he's thinking. (sighs) Jesus, another wasted day. Maybe everyone took a a step back and Peter suddenly found himself the default spokesperson once again. Or maybe he bravely stepped forward. Or maybe his first words were out before he had time to evaluate them. You can hear something of a shrug in this. Lord, to whom shall we go? Where can we possibly go? Come or high water this now. You're going, but we're going with you. We've cut the anchor, dumped the oars overboard, and there's no way back to that life, even if we wanted it. Of course, I'm speculating. Peter, the rock, may very well have have piped up loud and clear, certain of his Lord and of his own convictions. He may have took Jesus by the hands or shoulders in reassuring love, or maybe he knelt in adoration. Or maybe he shrugged. I think there's room for both. I think if we're honest, many of our own confessions of faith are uttered with a force of will and coupled by at least a twinge of uncertainty. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Uh, Maybe that's just me. For all the times that we truly want the bread of life, there are times when the best we can is want to want, and praise God, that's okay. Christ, who walked with us, can meet us there. He can accept that and over time expand it. He can meet us in our shrugs. After all, we know that whatever he may be feeling or thinking, believing in today's passage, Peter the Rock will crack when the pressure's on in Gethsemane and what follows. In the verse that follows today's reading, uh, John 6, 70, Jesus alludes to the impending betrayal of Judas. And I think he must surely have also had in mind the desertion by all. 
Peter, you will deny me. John and James, my sons of thunder, you, you'll come back, but you too will run away. Thaddeus, Bartholomew, James the Less, and on. Well, when did you know? Let me pose the question my director posed to me, to you, uh, if indeed you have come to know. What did you see or hear or sense that was for you the point of no return? Think about that for a minute. I invite you to reflect. When my wife and I found out we were expecting, we had pretty conclusive evidence. We knew that we were expecting a baby, but there are still days where we know it anew, or we remember it differently. When I heard the heartbeat the, fir the first time, oh, now, now I know, that's it. Now I know that there's, there's a life in there. So when did you know that Jesus' way was the only way, even if you didn't understand it? If you're like me, it, it might be hard to come up with one particular occasion, or perhaps what comes to mind more readily are the times of remembering, of returning, times that you've been reminded gently or sternly that you're not your own but were bought at a price. In today's Old Testament reading, there's a moment, uh, such a moment of returning, renewal, recommitment to the covenant before Joshua says, now fear the Lord, Etc. Joshua's taken some time. There's a great speech that's not in our text where he recounts the mighty deeds of the Lord and the stupendous serial failings of his people. And yet the Lord is faithful, more than faithful, time and time again to reach out and renew the covenant when his people return in repentance and true faith. Let's return to the synagogue at Capernaum. There's so much in here that I haven't the time or talent to expound. Jesus' repetitions of, I will raise them up at the last day, uh, and, and teasing out what, what does it mean exactly to, to feed on this bread of life. Uh, I think it means at least certainly to attend diligently and reverently the holy table, and to feed on his words. Jesus taught us in story and sermon, what life with a capital L looks like. Looks like. It's a life that begins now and lasts forever, but it, but it begins now, and, and here's how. Jesus told us, read, memorize. My parents, bless their hearts, uh, had me memorize John's first epistle when I was in eighth grade, which, by the way, is not the easiest book to memorize. Uh, I would recommend starting with poetry or narrative. But I'm grateful for that, and I find it easy to memorize scripture now. So do it. Feast on the words of eternal life. Feed on the bread of life. Incidentally, I love bread. And I, I feel bad for those who can't eat it for one reason or other. I can relate to the feelings of the crowd who were fed one day, and who knows? Jesus made top-shelf wine. Maybe his bread was also pretty killer. They were, they were fed one day, and the next only served a seemingly scandalous sermon. And I have to think that some were there, not only because of their bellies, but they recognized, if only in part, imperfectly, that, that Jesus was worth paying attention to, that he was up to something powerful and prophetic 
It can be hard to let go of our expectations, and it was even for those closest to Jesus. This morning, with the mist on the lake, I was reminded of Dagobah from the original Star Wars trilogy. If you haven't seen it, you can check out for the next couple minutes, but go home and watch it. You've got your afternoon cut out for you. Luke Skywalker in The Empire Strikes Back has lost his mentor and travels to the moist, mystical planet Dagobah in search of a legendary Jedi master, whom he meets right away, but he can't recognize him in the stunted, green, backward-talking form of Yoda. That's not what he thought he would see. And even when he recognizes it is, and he witnesses Yoda's immense power, Luke is still so caught up in his own idea of how it's supposed to go that he is frustrated and fruitless, and he abandons his training, much to his cost. I feel like perhaps it's possible that sometimes we take for granted our heritage. We have 2,000 years of spirit-led interpretation, reflection on what it means to feast on the bread of life. And it can become easy to sit in judgment over those saps back then who didn't get what Jesus was up to. But I wonder if you or I would do much better. Never mind back then, what about today? What would it look like for Jesus to shake up our expectations? So the crowd came hungry. They just didn't know how hungry they really were. And what they were looking for would not have really satisfied them, not for long. Just as the average American diet is filled with things that can't properly be called food, so our spiritual lives, in pursuit of spiritual health, we sometimes fill up on empty calories or even outright poison. Uh, I recently read Michael Pollan's book, Cooked. There's also a documentary on Netflix right now. There's a section on bread where he juxtaposes a, a traditional bakery in Morocco that makes bread more or less the way it's always been made, and on the other hand, a Wonder Bread factory. You see where this is going. Bread, real bread, is, is essentially three components. I thought about bringing in, I don't know if you can still buy Wonder Bread, but I was going to uh, read a list of ingredients. I don't think I need to. I'll be belaboring the point. But folks, sometimes we think we're eating bread, and we're not eating bread. Bread is pretty special, real bread. Simple ingredients combined to form a new reality, something delicious, nutritious, and community building. The church I attended in college, there was a young lady who faithfully baked bread fresh every morning for the communion. During the service, as the invitation to the table wound up and the fragrant loaf was uncovered and its toasty, slightly sweet, slightly sour aroma filled the room, the kids would group up in the back of the sanctuary like sprinters taking their marks. And when the time came and they were well-trained, they knew their cue they would barrel down the aisle to receive. Now they're kids who've been sitting through a service, watching the clock put both hands in the air, and by Jove, the man is still talking. So maybe they're more like the crowd who came out of fleshy appetites than out of concern over the state of their souls. But let that aside. Sometimes we feel this way. We are ready to run to the table of grace, eager for wholesome life 
life-giving Jesus bread, we grasp the wonder of it all, the miracle of simple things transformed. And with that, ourselves transformed. We have other days, of course. Bread is miraculous, but it is also mundane. The making of bread is simply what people do if they want to stay alive. And much of the time, there's nothing romantic about the working and waiting in a warm kitchen. Sometimes we don't feel hungry, but we need to remember we are indeed starving. And only the true bread from heaven will satisfy. Not even the the seemingly good things that were only ever meant to point to the real thing. Some days, the best we can do is plead, take me as I am and summon out what I should be. As our service continues, as we renew the covenant and profess our faith in the creed, and as we pray, most particularly in confession, let us each reflect with honest, humble sobriety. Some of us may have things we need to renounce. Some of us may need a cleansing of our spiritual diet. Some of us may be so saturated with toxins or simply so weary of the daily grind that we need a special ministration of the Holy Spirit to be able to metabolize the body of Christ. So whether you come running, hungry, or crawling, numb, jaded, uncertain, maybe you come with a shrug, perhaps disillusioned or simply tired, but you know there's no turning back. However you come, come and feast and live today and tomorrow and the next day. Even when you're not hungry, remember that you're starving. And only the bread that came down from heaven will feed you in the way that you really need. Thanks be to God.